Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for the ways in which you are at work in this campus. Lord, we thank you for classrooms. We thank you for uh, activities. We thank you for concerts. We thank you for worship. We thank you for um, all of our living and learning that takes place on this campus in which you are at work. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this wonderful space and the opportunity for us to worship here tonight together. I give a, a, a special thanks for our Office of Campus Events and for the many, many hours that they have been spent uh, preparing uh, this space to, to ready it for the events this weekend and for Loft tonight and, and for everyone who has taken part in, in preparing this wonderful space for us. And uh, Lord, we know that you are a God who does not uh, inhabit tabernacles and temples, that you are a God who um, can be accessed everywhere in this place through your son, Jesus Christ. Still at the same time, O oh Lord, we know that you are very present here and real to us, and that you delight for your people to gather in spaces at certain times and places to come before your face and to worship you and to hear from your word and for you to, to transform us, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And oh God, now as we, we turn to your word, we pray that you would make these words alive, that they wouldn't just be words on a page or on a screen, but they would be words that are living and alive and they would speak to us into our lives and that your word would take root in our hearts and our minds and would transform us to make us more like Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord, amen. So we are studying this semester the letter of <laughs> Philippians, right, and we are in chapter 2. Now, you don't have uh, pew Bibles or chair Bibles like we have over in the chapel, but we do have the scripture passage up on the screen for us. If you do have a Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 19 through 30, and Paul is speaking here about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know. How like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I think it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him, then, in the Lord with all joy and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Does it seem like the first day of class was forever ago? Like it was so long ago that you were walking into your dorm room for the first time and you're setting up your television. Or it seems so long ago that you were lifting up that couch into your second floor apartment building. Or it seems like forever ago that you walked into the Calvin bookstore and you purchased your books and you looked at the price tag and your jaw dropped. Or so long ago that you're gathering up all of your syllabi and you looked at all of your assignments and you're like, ah, that's like six weeks from now, no big deal. (laughs) Seems like so long ago that you met your roommate for the first time or you're working out your living arrangements. So long ago that we were having that wonderful uh, dinner out on Commons Lawn after convocation. And and do, do you remember who won Chaos Day? Oh, okay, so, all right. Some people still remember, that's good. But it seems all so long ago, and we've had so many experiences, and we've learned so many things all along the way, and it just seems so much wiser now after having been on this campus for a good six, seven weeks together. You know, and now we're, we're so much wiser. We know, that, we know that we don't have Facebook up on our laptop when we're trying to do our homework, right? Because you get nothing done, right? right? You're wiser now. You know that, you know that your roommate doesn't like it when you hit the snooze alarm five times in the morning, right? You've had that conversation, right? You, 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 you know now that it's not a good idea to leave all of your studying for your exams and all of your papers for the week that it's all due, right? Or, or you know now where to find all the best coffee and all the strongest coffee, either on campus or off campus, You've learned so much. You know that you can't take 17 credit hours and be an RA or a student athlete or work 20 hours a week. Like all these things that we've sort of figured out after a good six or seven weeks together. And and family weekend is a perfect opportunity for you to kind of show off all of your your, your new knowledge to your your parents or to your brothers and sisters, your family that are here with you. You can walk around and you go, did you know that there is a Spoolhof Center and a Spoolhof Fieldhouse Complex? And they are not the same thing, and it's important to get that right. Or you you walk past NVW and you're like, that's Norweird Vanderwerp. You couldn't say that seven weeks ago. You went, that's no, 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 that. Right? Or, or your parents are on, in, on campus and you're like, let's go downtown for dinner. And you're like, you know what? Let's not drive. Let's take the bus. And you're like, wow, you're so impressed. Like, you know the bus schedule. You know, you, you feel like you can, you can go to your parents and say, look, look at all of my clean clothes. Look at my clean sheets. Or, or you're going to the grocery store with your mom, and you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute, I think I have a coupon for that. <laughs> well, great time to impress your family with all of this knowledge that you've gained. At the same time, maybe having your family here on campus might uh, produce a little bit of anxiety. Right? Your, your dad wants to know if you've been putting those tuition dollars to good work. Or your mom wants to know who your friends are and have you been spending your time wisely and making good choices. This morning, they're like, okay, where are we going to go worship? And you're like, I don't know, I've been sleeping in, I'm not sure. You know, they want to know that you're vacuuming your carpet, that you're eating right, you know, that you're not going out alone at night. You know, they want to they come in, they want to they check up on you. They want to see how you're doing. They want to see if you're following up on all this, this good teaching that they gave you as you were growing up. 
Well, Paul, in this passage, he wants to, to check up on the Philippians. He wants to see how they're doing. He's been, he's been teaching them through this letter. Uh, he's been teaching them um, many things. And in particular, he's been teaching them that they are to, uh, to look to the interest of others, to put the interest of others before their own. He's also been, been teaching them that they are to, to stand firm for the gospel. And in the midst of, of persecution, they are to, to do the work of Christ and to stand firm, to stand strong. And Paul wants to, to check up on them. He wants to see how they're doing. And it's, it's very common in Paul's letters for him to teach the church and then say, and I'm going to come to you soon. And I'm going to put into practice along with you these things that I've been teaching you. But Paul has a, a challenge here. He's in prison, and he can't come to the Philippians. And so he says he's going to send to them Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they are going to come, and they are going to, to see how they're doing, to see how the Philippians are doing. And when I, when I read this passage, I can't help but but hear Paul almost as a kind of uh, like Jewish mother, like a stereotypical Jewish mother. You know, you might see in a, in a comedy or on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart or something. You know, and Paul's almost saying here, now I hope to send to you Timothy, and I hope to be cheered by the news that I hear of you. Right? Timothy's going to come and check things out, and I want to know that you're putting in all these good practices. And you get this sense that, that Paul wants to know really what's happening, and he wishes he himself could be there. He wants to see that they're making progress on all of these things that he's teaching them. And so he says he's going to send to them Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, Timothy and Epaphroditus, one thing that we recognize about these two is that they, they embody what Paul has been teaching in this letter. Not only are they representatives of Paul to see how they're doing, but they, they have lived out this teaching that Paul has for them. Look first at, at Timothy, and Paul says about him, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Well, these words echo so closely in chapter 2 and verse 4 when Paul says, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And what we see here is that Timothy is this, this shining example of living this out. Paul says, I have no one like him. He, he's one of a kind. All of those others who are with me in, in Rome, they look out for their own interests, but not Timothy. He looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Now, at first, that sounds a little like a sweeping indictment of all those people who are with Paul in Rome, and that they're all very selfish, and they don't look out for anyone else's interests. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to paint the picture of, of a contrast between all those who are with him in Rome, and particularly here Paul, or uh, Timothy. Like how great of an example Timothy is of this teaching. And one of the things that characterizes Timothy here is his genuine concern for the interests of others. And the word genuine here is, is authentic. It's, it's real. It's, it's like the kind of authentic concern that a brother would have for his sister or a sister for her brother, or the genuine concern that a parent would have for her child. 
set in the context of a family, of a relationship, a genuine concern in that way. And Paul is this this kind of shiny example, almost like a a guru, a leader who's going to come into their community and say, not only how are you doing on this, but let me show you how to do this. Let me me help embody this for you so you can can see this worked out. So we also see Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, again, is a kind of living embodiment of what Paul has been teaching. In verse 30, he says, Epaphroditus came close to death. For the work of Christ. And this echoes right away verse 29 in in chapter 1. For God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also suffering for him as well. And what scholars think might be happening here with Epaphroditus and what happened to him and why he almost came to the point of death is that Epaphroditus was a representative of the Philippians. And he was bringing from Philippi this great gift for Paul, this monetary gift, as well as um, his own service to Paul. As you know, in, 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 in that day, if you were in jail, you relied on the help of, of friends for your food and for your clothing and for all of your needs. And so Paphroditus is bringing this great gift from Philippi. And what scholars think is that along the way, Paul be, or Epaphroditus became ill. And he could have gone back or stayed where he was, but instead he forged on ahead because he felt that it was so important that he bring this gift to Paul so that Paul could continue to do his ministry in Rome. And so Epaphroditus kept on, but in the course of keeping on, he came really to the point of death. His illness really overcame him. And, and in that day, when someone comes to the point of death, they don't usually survive. They usually die. But because of the great mercy of God, Epaphroditus was restored to, to health. But he's a, a shining example for Paul of what it looks like to sacrifice for the sake of Christ, to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, Epaphroditus and Timothy coming to Philippi reminds me um, a little of a practice that has been common in the Christian Reformed Church for many years, but I, I think is, is waning in some ways. And it's the practice of, uh, of an elder's visit. Have any of you ever had a, anybody ever had like an elder's visit to your house? Right? Oh, many of you. Good. So this practice is still going on today. And in, in many churches, what happens is that the elders would visit a family once a year. And, and, uh, and, and, and this is, can be a very stressful time, right, for a family, right? They make sure the house is very clean. They put on the pot of coffee. All the kids have nice clothes on. You know, everything looks really good. And then the elders come to the home, and they want to ask them some, some questions. They want to, in a sense, check up on the family and see how they're doing. Are you sending your children to Christian education? Um, how is your, your tithing going? Um, are you sending your kids to, to catechism lessons? Um, are you uh, regularly attending celebrations of the Lord's Supper? But also at the same time asking, how can we pray for you? How can we care for you? How can the church support you and, and you and your family? It also reminds me of what we call in the Christian Reformed Church synodical visitors. The synod of the Christian Reformed Church is, is the ultimate governing body of what happens in, in the churches. And they'll send synodical visitors to churches every so many years. And they come and they, in a sense, have a family visit with the elders. 
And they say, okay, how is the church doing? Are you sending your, your ministry shares uh, to the denomination to support the work of the denomination? Um, are you, having, uh, are you uh, teaching the Heidelberg Catechism in your Sunday services? Um, are you in support of Christian education? And, and, and at the same time saying, what kind of wisdom can we help you with? Are there any problems in the church that we should know about? Any, uh, any services that the denomination can give to you? Uh, a kind of a, a, a check-in. Uh, a way of seeing how, how things are going. Now, I'm impressed to hear how many uh, of you have, have experienced an elder's visit. Um, I think probably in, in North America, in, in America, especially I know within Grand Rapids, this is maybe a little on the decline. Because as you can probably imagine, this is a little anxiety-producing. Right, a little stressful. Um, elders don't necessarily want to do this. Uh, but also families are a little stressful with this. It's a little anxiety producing. It's a little bit like, a, uh, like you're a student teacher, right? And you've been struggling and you've been working on your lessons. And then uh, on the day in which you're having the worst day, your professor comes and, and does the evaluation of you on that day. Or you're with all of your friends and you're, and you're uh, uh, having a French language conversation group. Right? And, and you're struggling with the language, and then your professor shows up and sits down, and all of a sudden you just can't think of, of any French at all. Right? This can be a, a little anxiety-producing to think of like a Timothy and Epaphrodite is coming to the community. Because right? I think that for many of us, we sincerely desire to live like Jesus Christ. We, we, we want to put our int- the interests of others before our own. We want to suffer for the sake of Christ. But but it's often really hard for us to do this, right? So this, this week, the last couple weeks, uh, a friend of yours comes to you and says, could you help edit my paper? And, and you want to help edit the paper, but you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have like my own 10-page paper that I have to write and edit for tomorrow. And so you say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you now. And your friend leaves disappointed. You know, or or um, you have... Um, drawing a blank. Uh, what's another example? So you have... Um, Boy, I'm just can't think of anything else, right? Just drawing a blank. Uh, this is a moment when you don't want your preaching professor to be there and listening in on, on what you're preaching. All right, um, but these produces produces anxiety in you because there's a sense in which you want to care for others, but yet what you end up finding is that you end up feeling guilty for what you're not doing, right? So um, at my church recently. Uh, my pastor was really excited to bring in a mentor and a professional uh, that he knows, a mentor of his and a professional in the area of evangelism and church out- outreach. And he was really excited for people in the congregation to come on this Saturday uh, to hear these two seminars on how we can be an outreach church and how we can reach out to our neighbors. And I'm thinking about my own schedule and I'm thinking about everything that's going on and it's like, great. Um, this is, I just don't quite have the capacity for this right now. I don't know, I know I'm, I'm trying to reach out to my neighbors, but at the same time, this sort of this visitor coming here almost in a sense makes, makes me feel bad for what I'm not doing, right? And so there's a sense in which looking at the calendar, can I do this, can I not do this? Oh good, the in-laws are coming in town, I'm not gonna be able to come, right? But I would never say that, well I just said it now, but I would never, <laughs> I would never say that if someone asked me if I was excited about this person coming because it, it produces this anxiety. And, you, and again, you almost hear like Paul with this sort of Jewish mother, you know, wagging a finger, sort of feeling guilty about this. And sort of like, well, you know Epaphroditus. He almost died. 
to help me with what you could not do for me. Right? So it just sort of producing this sort of guilt. Well, I think ultimately that we, that we read Paul wrong if we only hear him as a kind of Jewish mother. Right? That, that Paul, yes, he wants to check up on them. He wants to see how they're doing. He wants them to actually put into practice these things that he's teaching. Right? He's not just writing this and sending it off sort of hoping that something will happen. But he really wants to see this community become more like Jesus Christ, to work out their salvation together. And so I think what is important for us is to, is to know that Paul's motive is first and foremost love for this congregation and care for this congregation, for this church at Philippi. In chapter 1, Paul says, For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Paul longs for this church. He desires that God and Christ be formed within them. He loves them, and he would want to come there himself, to be there with them, to be their pastor, and to love them and care for them. But he himself can't come. He has hope that he will come. In verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. But he doesn't know if he's going to be able to come or not. And so what he does is he sends the best two people that he can think of to come to this congregation and to love them, to love them really well. When Paul says, I have no one like Timothy, no one like him, the Greek here is actually literally like-souled. I have no one who is like-souled, of like mind, who the sense of, of sharing the same heart, the same mind as Paul. So Paul is saying, as I love you, your congr- this congregation, if I love you Philippians, Timothy is going to love you in the same way because he is like me in this. And then when Paul says, um, how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel, Paul's using there an illustration of a son with a father is like an apprenticeship relationship. So as I have done, as I have cared for the churches, as I have proclaimed the gospel, if I have done these things, so Timothy has been with me along the way, doing exactly the same things that I am doing. So Timothy being there with you is just like me being there. As, as he does, so I would do. And it's also important to see that when Paul says that Timothy has genuine concern, he has genuine concern for your welfare, for you Philippians, that what Paul ultimately wants Timothy to do is to come and to love them, to put their interests before his own. Timothy is not coming there primarily to see that they're putting their interest, in, you know, that the interest of all these other people in front of their own, but he's coming with the desire to love them, to put their interests before his own, and to love them really, really well with a genuine love. In the same way with Epaphroditus, he calls Epaphroditus my brother. He is one in Christ with me. He is a co-worker. He's not just an underling worker, but he's a co-worker. We've been working side by side in the gospel. And he is a fellow soldier. He's been through it. He's been in the trenches. He's got war wounds. And he will come and he wants to share that same love of Christ with you. 
And in fact, what, what Timothy and Epaphroditus do is they're not only just examples of what Paul's been teaching, but they are examples of Jesus himself. They are living embodiments of Jesus. As he talks about Timothy seeking the interest of others, it echoes the words in, in chapter 2 where Paul is talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not require, regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. That just as Jesus did not consider his own interest above others, but became a human being, so Timothy is, is the same way. And as Jesus became obedient to the point of death, so Epaphroditus came close to death. And the Greek phrase is actually exactly the same there, unto death, making a, a, a direct tie from Epaphroditus to Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, I want to send Jesus to you to love you and to care for you and to support you. So it's like, it's like your parents coming to, to check up on you, but also to say, do you want to go to Target? Right? What do you need for your kitchen? You know, what do you need for your bathroom? What can we go and what can we buy for you? Or, or look at your refrigerator. Let's go to the grocery store and fill your refrigerator with everything that you need. Right? They're here to support you. They're here to encourage you, to energize you. Or let's go out to eat and let's take your friends you know, and have a good dinner together. Or another way of thinking of, of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, coming, a visitor coming into the community is like a, a sixth man off the bench. Right? You know in basketball you have five people who are on the court and they're playing basketball and they're the first stringers and they're out there. And then after a while a coach will send in a sixth person. And, and, and bring one person out. And that person comes in with added energy and excitement and enthusiasm. And they're a good player. And they light up the boards. And they make shots. And everyone gets excited and, and encouraged. And they keep playing harder. Or imagine here at, at Calvin that uh, you're a, a musician. And, and Itzhak Perlman, the renowned violinist, is going to come to Calvin. And he's not just going to do a master class, but he's going to be in residency here for the entire year. And every musician is like, oh my gosh, Yitzhak Perlman, I want to be a great musician. I want to practice my violin. I want to practice you know, my music. I want to be really good at what I do. You don't feel guilty that, 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 uh, that he's there, but you want to, you want to, it gives you energy. It energizes you, gives you excitement for what you're doing. And I believe that God is doing this all the time, that God is, is sending to us people here at Calvin in our community to, to energize us, to strengthen us, to encourage us in our work, to get us excited about standing firm for the gospel, to get us excited about putting the interest of others before our own. Now, one example that I can think of just recently, um, um, Liviu Mokan, who is the sculptor of Invitation Decalogue that is right outside of the chapel was just on campus a couple of weeks ago. And this, this sculpture, which, uh, as you know, is, is a little strange, right? When the first time you see it, you see there's these fingers that come up out of the ground. And I remember seeing it at Art Prize and just thinking, boy, that's really weird and strange. You know, like these alien fingers coming out of the ground, right? But then I met Liviu Mokan, right? And Liviu Mokan is a Romanian sculptor who grew up in a very poor family, grew up during communism, became a Christian during the communist era, and because of that, suffered himself for the sake of the gospel. And when I, when I met him, he, the man was just so Christ-like. I mean, it was like he just 
the, the Holy Spirit was just coming from this man, and I just wanted to spend time with him. And when he was, uh, when, the, when the, the sculpture was out at um, Art Prize, he was there every single day, most hours of the day, talking with people about this sculpture and saying, what do you feel? What do you experience? And then to people who didn't know Jesus, he would say, do, do you know Jesus? Can I talk to you about Jesus? And, and when, we, when we talked together, he, we would spend maybe 10 minutes, and we had a chapel service outside that we were working on, and we'd talk for 10 minutes about it, and he would just say, let's pray. And right then and there, he'd want to pray. And, and there was something about him that was just so encouraging uh, for me, and I think for everyone who talked to him, right, who talked to leave you that week, had this sense of uh, this, now this great love and admiration for the sculpture, Right? Not, nece- not maybe necessarily because of the sculpture itself, but because of Leave You and because of what an amazing individual he was and how he was Jesus Christ in our midst. Now, I, I also think of, of on our campus, we have all the time, we have students who are, are coming back from interims abroad. And oftentimes when, when when you spend time um, overseas, and if, you're, if you spend time in a developing nation or in parts of the world where there's a different sense of, of priority and time and where relationships are more important than, than efficiency, then, then you come back and then you, you, you wrestle with it. And you're like, there's this reverse culture shock that takes place. And, and, and they come in, and I believe that God is almost like Epaphroditus, you know, being sent away and then coming back. You come back, and you have these conversations, and, 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 and you help us to think about what it'd be look like, what would it be look like to actually put relationships in front of programs or, you know, or people before our, our schedule. And what would it look like to live that way? And it's the blessing of these of people that God is sending to our community. You think about the, um, the sexuality series that we have here at Calvin College and about how people are coming from off campus to speak to us about how we can live in, in whole ways as, as sexual people. And, and they're a blessing to our community. They energize us to help us live chaste lives before God. Or the concert series through the Student Activities Office and the conversations afterwards and talking about with these artists, uh, some of whom, you know, aren't Christians, but yet they, they see God in a way that maybe we don't always see here on campus. And they speak to us about truth and beauty in ways that just energize us to live more beautifully and to live more truthfully. God is always sending these people to us to, to bless us and to encourage us. And so I think our response to, to what God is sending us is just what Paul says in Philippians. He says, welcome them with joy in the Lord and honor such people. And so we want to, as God's people, to, to make space in our schedule so that we can, we can go to that special lecture uh, make space in our schedule so that we can talk to a, to a student who is coming from off campus or a transfer student. What could, what could God be sending to us in this person? You know, to, um, to, to read student news announcements. You know, to see who's coming, right? And, and how can we go and learn from these people to energize us, to encourage us to live more and more like Jesus Christ? So God is sending these people to us to be Jesus, to help us to live more like Christ. And when we are weak, and when we are weary, and we 
feel like we don't have the capacity to live more like Jesus, God blesses us with them as like a sixth man off the bench uh, to give us that, that encouragement and energy we need to serve him. You pray with me. Lord our God, we give you thanks that you send us all the time here in this place, Timothy's and Epaphroditus's. Lord, we have so many opportunities here, and we thank you and we bless you for what you have given to us. Help us, we pray, to see Jesus in them, and in turn then to see Jesus in each one of us, to draw us close to Christ, that we might be encouraged to to work out our salvation, to see your fruit born in us. May we desire to be like them because they are like Jesus Christ. May we see your fruit at work in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord.